Good morning. Welcome on a not so bright Monday morning. Um, thank you for your attendance and interest in this uh, important topic. This morning we're going to be, our panel is going to be discussing the, uh, the crossroads of the carbon uh, future. And um, our, our first guest that we'll be listening to in just a moment is Mark Campanella. Mark is from London and he is the um, executive director and founder of Carbon Tracker Institute. And he has been involved in finance for many years, and most recently he has formed this organization to consult with financial investors and leaders uh, in, uh, to uh, make us aware of the urgency of uh, our carbon future and uh, what we must do to divest and figure out how to get our, ourselves off of the addiction to carbon and fossil fuels. So uh, other panel guests we have this morning is Phil Rich. Phil Rich is from Archibald, Ohio, Zion Mennonite Church, and he has been um, uh, closely involved and he's currently the uh, chairman of the Mennonite Education Agency Investment Fund. And we'll hear um, a little bit about what MEA Fund has been doing and uh, is how, how they're seeking to manage our investments, the Mennonite Church investments, Mennonite Agency investments in, in uh, socially responsible investing. We have two students with us, um, Cecilia Lapstoltzfus and Hannah Yoder, and they will be um, um, responding to um, the presentation and telling us a little bit about GC Divest and the work that they've been doing recently in raising awareness about the urgency of divestment. And finally, Melissa Kinsey has, um, um, works in the development office. She is in um, uh, also teaching business class this semester in marketing and uh, an environmentalist for many years and uh, one who is passionate about good conversation. And so we've invited her to reflect on the conversation as she hears it this morning and as, as we've been hearing it going on. Mark um, will be, uh, has been traveling around the country. He was in Chicago last week speaking to investors and next week he'll be at Oberlin College uh, on a post-carbon uh, conference. Um, and uh, he's graciously giving us uh, three days of his time here in Goshen. So um, I first would like to welcome Mark and uh, he will be presenting for a few minutes and give us a little bit of an idea of, of what he's learned and what he's trying to uh, tell the world. Mark. Okay, thanks. Um, the first slide I'm going to put up is, is goes, I, I talked a bit about it a little bit last night. Um, and thank you for the welcome, by the way, Glenn. It's great to be here. Is uh, just how quickly um, and well established the, the science, the evidence is on, and just in the last few years, really getting it clear um, at just how rapidly the Earth is warming. And what this shows you is, is um, you may, may have seen this before, is the annual increases in observed temperature around the world. And those two circles, 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees, are the rises above the global average mean temperature of 16 degrees. Um, and how quickly that is changing. And we know that that's, there's extremes of that. The Arctic has been warming quite rapidly, and that's why we've, we've seen a, a, you know, a million square miles of ice lost, of summer ice lost in, in the Arctic. 
um, that would, one would otherwise expect to be there. So what that illustrates is that we, we have a problem. And a bit like an, um, a, a spring unwinding very quickly, you can see as you get to 2016, it just breaks away and gets terrifyingly close to one and a half. Um, just the, uh, I think it was just in the last month or so, we had the news that the, uh, the um, carbon dioxide has increased to 400 parts per million in, in the atmosphere as we head towards um, probably where we're going to settle around 450 parts per million, and it's going to be very tough to keep to two degrees or even three degrees. So we have, we have a problem on our hands. I was going to prepare a presentation um, with lots of different slides on it and try and do something smart and technical, but I'm not sure I want to do that. Now, I want to talk about some other things. I want to get in really into the heart of the discussion um, about if you know you've got a problem like this, and we know that utility companies, all of us that use energy, uh, the automobile sector, the, uh, I flew to the US, obviously, I didn't come by ship, I came on a plane. Um, whatever we do is associated with emissions, the food we produce, um, it's just very carbon intensive. We use a lot of fossil fuels. And knowing that, um, how do we tackle it? And to tackle it, we have to think about strategy. Uh, and strategy is important. And it seems to me that what we've got is two questions. Um, do we take on the boards of large corporations? Do we build alliances with large pension funds and investors together to take on these corporations and speak truth to power and really get down to almost like a negotiation? What are we going to do here? Governments, are, we can be waiting forever for governments to act, even though it's exciting that Paris um, is close to being ratified or has been ratified. I think the Indians and the Europeans just came in with the Chinese and the Americans. Do we do that or do we say our tactic is to stay out of the debate, um, divest from the companies, divest from the Exxons and the Chevrons, uh, and that's going to be the way that's going to force the companies to the table. And that's a really, really tough question to ask. Uh, and my view, my view on this is that um, it has to come to what your theory of power is and what your theory of change is. And I'll say, I'll say to you what my view is is if I can get, and if we can get 20 of the largest, 20 of the world's largest um, pension funds and insurance companies in the room, the ones who control the votes over Exxon and the ones who control the votes over Chevron, if we can do that, then we can probably have a go at forcing them to move to what we call a two degrees compliant business plan, a strategy essentially of winding down the fossil fuel sector over the next couple of decades. If you're not at the table, um, you're taking a different approach, and is that approach going to be as effective? That's my view on the, on the debate. So once I've laid that clear, um, you can probably tell which way I'm coming from it. When I, when I set up Carbon Tracker, why did I set it up? I was just uh, disturbed and angry by all the coal and oil companies raising money in the city of London. And the more we knew about the science, the more that my, some of the colleagues in a different part of the institution I was working for were just very happy to write some big checks. Uh, the worst one <laughs> was a company called Asia Energy, and they were building a coal-fired power station in Bangladesh. And I got the prospectus, and uh, no, real me no mention of climate change in the prospectus, and they said, well, Bangladesh needs power, um, coal is readily available, let's build this huge coal-fired power station. Um, and the fact that Bangladesh would be one of the world's first countries to be underwater from rising sea levels, because you know on the coast it's very, very low. I thought, well, this is, this is madness. 
And so myself and a guy called Nick Robbins, we decided to do some research. And we didn't think it would be research that anyone would be interested in. We launched this report. We printed 100 copies, because that's how popular I thought it was going to be. It was called Unburnable Carbon, Other World's Financial Markets Carrying a Carbon Bubble. And uh, Bill McKibben um, was given one of those 100 copies. I, I heard he was given to it by, by, by Naomi Klein, gave it to him. And he read the report, and he produced this paper, very well written piece of uh, analysis or a review of our research called Global Warming's Terrifying New Math. And where he concluded, as we know, is that the way we deal with this problem was to divest ourselves from these companies. If you go back and read what the report said, my, my report, what we said is that um, this is such a huge issue, we need to bring together the insurance companies and the pension funds, we need to create a new way of regulating capital markets um, to ensure that climate risk is properly incorporated into how financial decisions are made. And it was a letter, it was an open letter to the SEC and the Bank of England. And my view, and it's still, my, my view and it's still true, is that we could spend a long time divesting institution by institution, but once you, for an institution to sell, somebody has to buy what the institution has been selling, and what do you do? Go to the new institution that's bought those shares and say, you've got to divest too. Though I know that the divestment campaign really wasn't trying to do that, it was trying to challenge the moral authority of these companies and challenge their political power. And in that sense, and I said last night, they play a very, very important role, an important role. And uh, without them, I don't think, like my organization, if Bill hadn't written that article, I know for sure that I'll be back doing my old job and we would have never have got to where we were today. Because what he did was alert people to it and it went around the world like wildfire fire and all of a sudden I was getting calls from you know the Norwegian government pension scheme and the French pension schemes and I've been doing this tour around the world with very large pension schemes um, and I you know you get like this was in New York and climate week you outcome the protesters floating the, the carbon bubble being burst on the horns of the Merrill Lynch bull uh, on it um, not too many of these slides are going to be useful for what I want to say. Um, other than this one, I think is important. T what it shows you is growth in emissions, and it shows you the date, 2031 to 2045. The first date is when emissions will concentrate to the level where we go through two degrees, and then by 2045, we break through three degrees. Doesn't mean we hit three degrees of warming. I want to be clear about that, because there's lag effects. So we don't know if the lag effects are 40 years, 80 years, 100 years. But what it does mean is that you build in the conditions to make that almost certainly inevitable. Um, and so that tells us probably, fifth, probably two degrees is almost certainly locked in. Um, not too many more of these slides. Oh yes, what did we do that was unique? We say this is a, a stock market problem and that these companies are listed on global exchanges. I'm gonna probably stop here because what I wanted to summarize my perspective I said a few things. I said, I think power is concentrated in the hands of a relatively small number of people. When you say a phrase like that, people immediately go, oh, you mean politicians. I do not mean politicians. I mean, very specifically, I mean the big insurance companies, the big asset managers, the pension funds. Um, and I do mean um, the faith groups and the colleges with their assets. And the challenge you have here is that if we are to take an engagement approach to this problem, what exactly is it that we're engaging on? And I want to be clear, in the same way that faith groups led the campaign to end slavery and the campaign to end 
apartheid in South Africa, and I was involved in the divestment campaign as a young man against South Africa, it was very clear what the outcome was. And I want to be clear about what is our outcome here. Our outcome is without doubt the orderly closing down of the coal, oil, and gas industries within our lifetime, certainly coal, um, and not too long after, we can no longer combust petroleum products for transportation. And if we do not do that, then we, we, we will not be able to reverse uh, the tame ch changes to weather patterns that we're beginning to see now. If we do not have an engagement approach that has that as its goal, then we shouldn't be saying that engagement works as a strategy. That means new alliances, it means union groups working with faith groups, working with endowments, working with pension funds. On Friday in New York, I was at an embassy, um, I'm not allowed to say which, but it was a, uh, it was a, a European nation that hosted a meeting of, of the largest of the pension funds. The Dutch were there, the Norwegians were there, the Swedish were there, the French were there. And the, and the East Coast and West Coast important pension funds were there. What did they discuss? They said, we're going to take on the world's 600 biggest emitters of, of global warming gases, and we will challenge their boards on the strategy. And if needs be, we will remove board directors if we do not. And so it's about power politics. Where does the power lie? You cannot be on that table if you've divested. The uh, MEA Investment Committee uh has worked for years in socially responsible investing. When I started with this committee, we primarily used a screened list and screened out companies that we said, uh, for various reasons, including environmental reasons, we would not invest in because they were too dirty, they were too problematic. In my time on that investment committee of over 20 years, I don't think we've ever invested, owned shares in ExxonMobil, for example. Um, at the same time, we have invested in energy companies and we have invested in a, uh, across a broad spectrum of investments. We have increasingly embraced shareholder engagement, which is what you're talking about. Voting our proxies, not allowing our investment managers to just vote the proxies the way they would, but uh, actually informing how we want the proxies voted in a given issue that is before uh, the meeting of the of the shareholders. We have taken shareholder engagement as the approach that could change the behavior of companies. And we also understand, even though the investment fund that we manage is close to $140 million, that we are a very tiny player in this large uh, sea of investing. But as we join together with other investors, and on a variety of resolutions, the faith communities have joined with people like the California pension system to try to affect change in various companies. And that, we think that's going to be the most productive. I think the divestment movement is calling public attention. I've been interested in the responses of some of the big universities like Stanford and Harvard. Harvard initially said, no way, we're not doing anything. Then a student group pushed Harvard but what they did was start a tiny little fund that would be fossil free, and their $30 billion investment is not. And I think that's very disingenuous on their part. And I think we're gonna still have to use the moral authority that you students bring and that others can join in to encourage change. I too agree that uh, given the poisonous nature of our politics, it seems unlikely that politicians are going to be a big part of the answer. 
and that it will be more in the area of shareholder engagement. Another little piece that I would mention that we've started doing is mission-based investing. And we have joined in four private partnerships with people who are trying to do uh, investing for social good at the same time that they need to give us a good return on our, on our investments so that we can fund the scholarships and the, the uh, payouts that the institutions need. Uh, the most recent, our most recent one is one that uh, is a private partnership that will work with small companies on clean energy, on workforce development, on uh, things that we, we believe in, and uh, we're excited to make an investment with this company and, and work with this fund. We've committed about $6.5 million now to that kind of what I would call mission-based investing, which tries to have an impact in various parts of the world in a positive way. One of the most uh, interesting is a frontier markets investment uh, with a group of uh, folks who are trying to work in countries where the investment community is not well organized in places like Kenya and Ghana, uh, where, where they're trying to make capital available for social good in uh, places where it could make a big difference. I'll pass it on. Good morning. Hannah and I are leaders of Ecopacs, Environmental Justice Club, and student organizers within Goshen's GC Divest campaign. We work alongside two other amazing student leaders, Mimi Salvador Lucero and Ben Wiebe. Over the past four years, GC Divest has written and submitted a fossil fuel divestment proposal, met with MEA and Everance representatives, and collaborated with Eastern Mennonite University, another MEA school, to write a joint letter calling for divestment. And over the past several months, Cecilia and I have researched socially responsible investing strategies and written a literature review specifically about climate, climate change responsive investing and how it relates to Goshen College and MEA. This morning, we will speak from our perspectives as Ecopacs and GC Divest members, but we don't claim to represent all the perspectives within these groups. We will also draw on this summer's research and our reflections from Mark Campanali's speech from last evening. So as students, we want to find ways to collectively resist the climate crisis. The climate crisis is not just an issue of rising atmospheric carbon dioxide, potential financial losses, or even habitat destruction. It is the result of a failed economic system that allows us to pursue personal economic gain at the expense of the other. This other can be our neighbors, immigrants who build RVs in the industrial park next to our campus while facing workplace hazards like exposure to carcinogenic emissions. This other is indigenous communities worldwide facing oil extraction and pipeline construction within their lands so that fossil fuel giants can meet US energy demands with fracked oil and gas. The other is even the rivers that persist among us, having already endured many ecological abuses, now only to face pipeline construction across their shores and under their depths. In our climate change resistance, we want to stand in solidarity with these others, who face the front lines of climate change and fossil fuel infrastructure, knowing that this is our collective fight. As students, we want to work strategically and efficiently. Mark Campanelli suggested that targeting the top financial executives in the fossil fuel industry is a productive strategy to reduce fossil fuel use and emissions. We agree. Political commitments such as the US Clean Power Plan and even the 2015 UN Paris Agreement are important 
Yet international agreements to curb climate change below 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius cannot be trusted because they don't include structures of accountability. Fossil fuel corporations continue to seek new reserves and are not yet recognizing the threats of climate change, government regulation, or social movements like ours on their future profits. As students, we can recognize these sources of power and join or develop movements to deconstruct them. We also want to use our overlapping spheres of influence to advocate and act against capital gain at the expense of the natural world and human communities. As GC students, our values and interests are represented through Mennonite Education Agency and Everance Asset Management. In addition to on-campus projects and connecting directly with large-scale political and social movements, we choose to pursue understanding within our own MEA networks. There have been points of disagreement which reflect the realities of the divestment movement worldwide. And the problems we are facing are too large and messy to expect clear-cut, easy solutions. Somehow, we will need to learn to work constructively despite these tensions. Through dialogues with MEA and Everance, communication and involvement with 350.org and other international climate action movements, and through exploration of SRI resources, Cecilia and I have made the following recommendations to MEA, which you can also find in the conclusion of the literature review. First, we ask that MEA develop a public presence through which the committee can respond more fully to, to crises such as those presented by climate change. We call on MEA to condemn fossil fuel investments and the fossil fuel industry within a publicly available statement. We believe that MEA could make this statement while still supporting Everence's work with shareholder advocacy and promoting change from within. Additionally, such a statement would compel others in the socially responsible investment world and in Mennonite networks to reconsider their own strategic organizational positions. We also ask that MEA publicly recognize that they have indeed divested from many sectors in the past, including but not limited to coal, tobacco, alcohol, weapons manufacturing, and nuclear development. We consider this an important acknowledgement as it ex exemplifies the historical precedent for divestment within MEA. We also propose that addressing climate change will require collaboration of an unprecedented scale. MEA is on a path to self-destruction if it does not consider the multitude of voices present in economic dialogues. Participants in the conversation who have yet to be recognized by MEA include indigenous communities in South and North America, and the Movement for Black Lives, an organizational collective that has recently called for specific divestiture from problem industries. There are other missing voices as well. We ask that the MEA provide transparency in their decision-making and organizational processes. Students, faculty, and alumni have demonstrated interest in the way the endowment is being managed. It is important to continue finding new ways, such as funding student research like ours, to honor this constituent engagement. Increasing transparency promotes trust between these groups and also institutes an accountability mechanism that is currently absent from MEA. Although MEA has a publicly available policy statement on their website, the statement does not include an individual agency-level commitment to socially responsible investment. Instead, the policy cites the guidelines followed by Everance. Since Everance is not MEA's primary fund manager, it seems pertinent for MEA to develop their own separate set of guidelines by which to manage the fund. 
Finally, we ask MEA to ever expand their investments in local communities and economies in an, international, in an intentional and committed effort to support climate resilience. We hope that MEA, we hope that MEA and its constituents will respond to these calls in a transparent way that reflects their continued commitment to an all-inclusive and justice-driven transition. Thank you. Oh, and thank all of you for being part of this panel discussion today. I, I especially appreciate Mark being here, um, the influence of Everence and MEA and Goshen College, Glenn Gilbert, for putting this together. I've been asked to be part of this panel, kind of representing three different sectors. First, part of our community. As Glenn said early on, for many years, I have organized events in our community just to bring people together to communicate about um, sustainability in our environment and how can we work together as a community locally but also globally. And I think Mark really brought home this week while he's uh, spending time with us a very important critical next step that we all have been aware of, but he has really brought the issue to the forefront in a, in a great international way. I appreciate the efforts of MEA in uh, listening and always trying to do the best that they can with uh, the opportunities that are available for us. It's a challenging world we live in. Things are changing so rapidly and we have to keep up. Um, really appreciate Cecilia and Hannah for their, what I would call graduate level research that they've done on this project. I've just skimmed the surface of starting to read through the depths of it and pretty incredible research that you've done. And they've done it with great passion. Uh, the second reason that I was asked is to serve as a faculty member representative on this, this panel. And in such, I would say I am very pleased with our student body. We are passionate about many issues, and this is certainly one that affects you in your lifetime and me in my lifetime in a greater way than uh, perhaps we've realized up to now. Uh, I think in our classes, I will speak to my marketing students who are here today. What's the first thing we do in marketing class? First thing on our agenda. Who's here today? Current events, thank you, yes. We always start every class talking about current events. What's going on in the world that we need to be aware of and how does that impact us in our schoolwork, in our lives, in our businesses, in our futures, and in our careers? And this is the kind of world event that hits home locally in all of our communities. And so it's very much part of our education to stay current and to stay involved in what is going on. Also through our nonprofit organizations we work with, um, last week we had the opportunity to do Community Engagement Day. All of our first year students went out and volunteered in our community at nonprofit organizations. That too is part of this passionate development that we have toward being part of our communities, part of our world, and making a positive impact. The third role that I play here at Goshen College and the reason that I was asked to serve on this um, panel is as part of the Alumni and Career Networks Office. And as such, my job is to help you as students develop your uh, academic experience into something that's going to lead you to your next steps. That might be graduate school, that might be careers, that might be gap years where you get involved in um, something like these issues. 
and you go out and you make a difference. So as part of that, I would say thanks for this opportunity to talk to you about your future. Because what Mark is talking to us about, he keeps using the word retirement, but I would like to substitute future for the word retirement when we think about accounts. Retirement accounts as a college student seem pretty, pretty far off to you right now. But believe it or not, I started my first retirement account when I was a college student. And now I'm glad I did. That tiny little bit of investment grows quickly. And by the time you're my young age, it, it will be something you're thankful that you have somewhere. So I encourage you, even if it's a dollar, a dollar a month, just start putting it away. It gets you in the habit of doing that. And when we start thinking about these global investments and the responsibility that MEA has and others for managing these funds, if you understand it at this starting point, it's going to mean a lot more to you when you have the opportunity um, to get involved and have a say in how you invest that money. And so I encourage you to think about that as well. And those passions that we have right now, they're going to stay with you through your lifetime. And you have an opportunity to keep building your network and connecting with people who, like you, want to make a difference. You have a huge network already started right here at Goshen College, a great group of people to work with. And we're connected through other organizations to people around the world. We have London sitting on our stage today. I think that's pretty exciting. And let's make good use of that. Let's stay connected to that and see how we can best use that here at home in Goshen and in your homes as well. And as I wrap up my part of this, I want to refer to the last slide that Mark showed us last night. The last statement on the last slide said, more need for quality analytics than ever. If you're in my marketing class, you know what I'm saying. That means do your homework. This is the stuff we're talking about right now, analytics, big data. How do we accumulate this resource of information that helps organizations like Carbon Tracker to come up with this kind of information? So if you go to class some days and you feel a little bored, think about this stuff. The stuff you're learning can make a huge difference. And we're here to help figure out how to apply it. It's big, big challenges, big questions but also big opportunities for us to make a positive impact and, and hopefully a positive difference on our community and our global community. So I think that's all I have to say. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks to all of, all of you for your contribution. Um, we do have a, a microphone here, and you've heard a spectrum of perspectives on a very challenging and complex subject. And, none of them had the opportunity to go into it into the depth that they would have hoped to. But uh, in this last few minutes, we would invite any of you who have a question for Mark, or for Cecilia, or Hannah, or, or Phil, or Melissa, uh, please come up and use the microphone, and we can continue the conversation. Who's brave enough to be the first? Thank you all. This question is mostly for Mark. Um, in a recent um, report from MEA, or sorry, a statement on their investment policies, they said that um, several of their investment managers received poor ESG ratings. Um, so with regard to that fact, what would you encourage MEA to do? Last night you mentioned transferring funds or those assets to other managers. Um, is it as simple as that? And then the second part of my question is, how can we as students um, advocate for that change um, in MEA? 
So. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to be a bit British and a bit reticent. Uh, as a guest here, I, who's in and out, I, I don't really feel qualified to be able to say how things should function and how things should work here. I think you've got a great group of folks and professionals who can come to that conclusion yourselves. But generally speaking, I think we, we, there, is a, there is clearly a, a, a battle of wits um, and a battle of minds happening in, in the world of global investment management. And what, where we seem to be is people are falling into two lines, okay, as, as fund managers. And last night I mentioned a few like BlackRock and State Street, which are good examples. Um, you've got a, a group of northern pension schemes, northern European pension schemes, the Scandinavians, the Dutch, the French, the British, and particularly the Norwegians, and, and, and the Danish, many of whom have said, we're out of coal. Many have said, we're never going to invest in another coal company again. A number of them have said, okay, with oil, we're really going to take on the management, and we're going to work together as a, as a coalition with the goal of, of really getting to grips with um, the corporate side, the business side, thinking of there's a, you know, you've got the, the investors on one side and the business community on the other. When I come to the US, there isn't that same kind of conversation. Um, people haven't agreed yet whether we need to be closing down the fossil fuel industry. That's an important question. Where's your starting point? If the, your starting point is let's make them better so they can continue as on before, then that is the wrong approach to be taken. We needed to be thinking about a winding down strategy. When it comes to the selection of managers, I would say that you'd have to have values alignment. If you've got money with an investment manager and it's been published who they are, it does include people like BlackRock, who when it comes to the climate resolutions, they're using everything they can to vote them down. Whereas you've got State Street that says, we're with the progressives, we want to get this dealt with. Why would you ever want your money to be managed by BlackRock ever again? And I'm talking about the governance of how they vote all of their shares, the one trillion, I'm not talking about the 50 million in the fossil free fund. I'm talking about how they approach the issue as an institution. And it does seem to me that one of the things that you that anybody can do, whether it's your institutions here or any institution, is move, move your assets to fund managers that are aligned with your thinking. And if they don't want to get aligned, maybe they're the wrong managers. And I think as a point of principle, that's a clear line to be drawn there. From MEA, I would, I would simply say that um, we have increasingly looked at that issue as we hire a new fund manager or change fund managers. You don't do it overnight. You can't. It, it just, you can't work it that way. And some of these are private partnership things that were put in place several years ago and just have to ride their way out. You can't just walk out. But uh, we are, con in an ongoing way, looking at that question more and more as we consider uh, who will invest our money for us. At the same time, we do, we do vote the proxies and we, do, we instruct how proxies will be voted rather than having the fund manager just vote them. Good morning. I'd like to ask a question that I asked friends before. And you mentioned not investing in companies like Exxon, but you guys were invested in BP not very long ago. And once the oil spill happened, you withdraw your money from that. But the damage was done and millions of people were affected. And that's the nature of oil companies. There will be oil spills. So why do you think that just like by divesting your money from those companies, once a sudden change has happened, you can create impact? We're not invested in BP either. Um, 
I think there are two answers to that. One is there is a difficulty in, in, in understanding that we need to be invested somehow in the energy sector. We are trying to move those investments more toward clean energy, uh, solar and other kinds of, of uh, investments. At the same time, uh, we have used very active shareholder engagement with the extraction companies that we're dealing with. One of those is Stott Oil, the Norwegian oil company. And we've been very involved with other investors, including Everance, in, in working with Stott Oil on changing their practices and rethinking some things about their business model. Um, so we think it's a combination of taking companies off the list and not investing and trying to engage with companies and uh, change their behavior. It's not a simple, uh, straightforward answer, but that really is where we're at. I think sounding as um, coming in as an observer from afar, I think um, the question it seems to me is is uh, is everyone aligned with the speed of the energy transition as a policy yeah. statement that says the game is up with this sector, really is the game is up. It's not going to be five years, maybe not even ten years, but certainly within the next 20. And that means this orderly wind down. And I think what's missing from you know, um, from how I see things here is, is that hasn't been a, a public statement in a sense that says, yeah, we're part of this community of investors that is prepared to commit to this orderly transition. There is, there is something which um, I, that, is, that one merits to look at, and maybe there's something for you to, to look at, and you may already have done this, called the, something called the Portfolio Decarbonization Coalition. It's made up of, I think it's 600 billion, maybe it's a bit more now, of investors committed to decarbonize their portfolios. And I think another 140 million added to that would be very welcome. Well, the clock always wins. Um, I want to uh, uh, take this opportunity to thank all of the uh, speakers, and I invite you to do that as well. Uh, as we um, conclude, I want to rem uh, make you aware that Mark will be speaking in a couple classes. This noon he'll be speaking in the Emerging Economies class, and tomorrow morning he'll be speaking in the Climate Change class. Also at 6 p.m. tomorrow in the CIIE conference room, uh, Mark will be having a conversation with uh, Cecilia and Hannah about their paper. That will be a time when, when uh, they will be able to uh, introduce what they've learned and how they've studied uh, in, the next, uh, in, in more detail and make the paper available to others to read. So let's give them a nice round of applause. Before you leave, before you leave, there are two stations, one at this end and one at this end. If you have not registered to vote, this is your opportunity to do it. They couldn't make it easier for you to do. Just walk out to those tables and register to vote. Thank you for coming.